Welcome to New World of Work, a podcast exploring the new frontier of the modern workforce. I'm Reese Black, Head of Workplace Design at Oyster, a global employment platform making it easier than ever to build a brilliant team on an international scale. On New World of Work, we'll hear from some of the world's best and brightest people and culture experts on cutting edge topics that people operations professionals need to hear today, all through a global lens. Join us as we navigate this new world of work together and learn more about each other along the way. From informal chats around the water cooler to team lunches, there's always been room for social connection in the workplace. But now that the lines between in-person, hybrid and remote work are beginning to blur, PeopleOps leaders are being challenged by this new paradigm. The task of maintaining morale and fostering workplace connections was a challenge before the remote work revolution, and it's even more of an enigma now, as teams are becoming increasingly spread out across time zones. So how can PeopleOps leaders rise to the challenge and keep a strong sense of community alive in this new world of work? In this episode, I sit down with Rajiv Iyengar, the CEO and co-founder of Tandem, to find out. As a tool that allows teams to connect, hang out, and collaborate remotely, Tandem is aiming to help companies bring back a positive office vibe without the office. After studying bioengineering at Princeton, Rajiv went on to hold various roles at companies like Yahoo and Fairchild. He has some great advice to share with PeopleOps leaders hoping to continue creating a tight-knit company culture despite being spread across cities, countries, and even continents. I hope you'll take away at least one valuable insight from this episode. I know that I certainly did for my conversation with Rajiv. Enjoy. I'm Rajiv Iyengar. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Tandem, which is a virtual office for remote and distributed teams. The things about my career, I've worked in a lot of different domains, but it's always been about the people. It's always been about who do I want to work with? Who do I want to learn from? And, and that was kind of the story of how I started Tandem. It was two good friends from startups and then from Yahoo. And we were working on a completely unrelated project when uh, they had kids around the same time. And we started working from home all of a sudden. And we didn't feel like a team anymore. And that kind of led us to try many different tools to get that connection uh, and ultimately prototype our own tools, which eventually led to Tandem. So there are a couple forces that are at odds right now. And that's leading us to this, this phase that's going to be more difficult before it gets easier. This is a little bit of an oversimplification, but on one hand, people want connection. We all work better and enjoy work better when we know and like and trust each other. But also, if we just look at the cold numbers at an organizational level, psychological safety or trust in an organization is the greatest factor for velocity. So on one hand, people need connection. On the other hand, people need flexibility. And we've seen that during the pandemic, we've seen that in the partial return to the office. When we look at how employees interpret hybrid work versus employers, often employers are trying to coordinate hybrid work to specific days or a specific number of days. And time and time again, employees push back. And because flexibility is so important to work-life balance, to your happiness, to your family life. And so you look at both of these factors, flexibility versus the need for connection, something needs to bridge the gap. 
So that point you were saying about connection, I, I completely agree. But the thing that came into my head was connection to who? Actually, that point you were saying about flexibility and connection sort of being a, a, a balancing act, I guess the flexibility part is actually about allowing connection to other people, to your family, to your friends, to, to these other people. And then the connection you're talking about is connection to your colleagues, to your the professionals that you work with. Do you think that has been thought of in that way? I think that has been one of the more positive you know, silver linings of this kind of period of intense remote work, and which is we all are able to kind of connect more with people outside of work. So, and that's why I think it doesn't make sense to go back to the office. That's why I think flexibility is so important and we don't want to let go of it and we shouldn't let go of it. That has just made everything better. There's another related thing that's opening up where work doesn't have to look like standard work anymore. It doesn't necessarily have to fit standard eight hours. There's more variation in types of contract work. The creator economy is opening up new types of, of models. And we're seeing a lot of innovation on work models from, from creators, from Web3 and other domains. Um, so there definitely is more flexibility in that dimension opening up as well. One thing that's been very important to us as a team is that feeling of connection that you really know your coworkers. And it's certainly not for everyone. You know, there are certainly, there is certainly a set of people who, for whom work can be more transactional, a more minimal part of their life. But for a lot of people, it is a big source of, of meaning and challenge uh, in life. And when you're spending that kind of time and energy and thought on it, you're talking with your coworkers for such a big fraction of your life and it, they take up so much of your headspace. It seems like um, it would be a shame if you don't know them. It, it would be a shame to spend so such a big fraction of your energy in a realm and not really know your coworkers. And that's why I think we see a few studies that 75 or 80% of people want the option to go into the office at some point. Now, going to the office doesn't, isn't the only way to get connection, but it is a good kind of indicator that people do want that connectivity with their, with their colleagues. They want to feel part of a team, part of, an, part of a tribe. Yeah, they're not saying that because they want a commute every now and again. They're, they're saying it for the, the thing they get uh, if they do that commute. Yeah, no one likes the commute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they want, they want the, the prize at the end of it, which, as you say, is, is, is being able to be tactilely in, in connection with someone. How, how would you best describe this relationship between synchronous communication and, and asynchronous communication? Asynchronous communication really functionally is when you're not thinking with another person in real time. So that could be documents, that could be sending a video recording. I would classify chat as kind of semi-synchronous or mostly asynchronous communication. And synchronous communication is voice, video, in person. And when you look at the actual studies on how trust builds in media, voice, video, and in person are much more close in terms of building trust. They all get to maximum trust after some amount of time, you know, 
in-person is the quickest. Uh, videos takes about twice as long. Voice takes about three times as long, but they all get there. Chat never gets to the same level of trust. And so then we can ask, well, what's, what is special about these synchronous modes of communication? There's, there's higher bandwidth. And I mean that in the more metaphorical sense or the interpersonal sense. You just know more about the other person. You get tone, you, get, you see their facial expression. There's a reaction to your reaction. There's something about synchronous communication and collaboration that lets you really think together, get to know the other person a lot better. I want to come back to that stat that you were talking about, about um, in-person versus uh, mm-hmm. video and audio only, and then text. I think there was a really interesting point there. So the study, and I'll, I'll share the link, it's being there versus seeing there, University of Michigan. And they did a series of sort of iterated prisoner's dilemma type experiments with a group payout. And what they found was video and voice take longer to reach the same amount of trust. In-person reached maximum trust after a few rounds. And video took, I think, a dozen or more. But chat just never got there. And so I think one way to really distill that is talking builds trust. Very, very simply. Talking in real time builds trust much faster than than chat. And, And the difference is very, very large. And when we look at what happened during the pandemic, we stopped talking to each other. And then we see the great resignation, like the largest resignation in, in history. It's not that surprising. There's this underlying physics of trust that's, that's kind of underpinning all of it. That's why I think the majority of employees want to be in person or have more connection at least some of the time. Uh, and, and that's leading to a whole set of challenges as we return back to a hybrid world. If talking builds trust, what about the more intense version of talking where you're collaborating in real time, like actual real time collaboration, pair programming where two people are looking at the same code and occasionally swapping control of each other's computers. This is, this is actually one of the flagship modes people use tandem to, to just act as if they're on the same computer or pair designing or looking over uh, even looking over a document, editing a document together. That sort of high quality collaboration where you're just in flow together is something that personally I, I love. My mental model of it is that the best way to conceptualize this is to think about a company as, as an organism, like a being, right? And the asynchronous communication is sort of the long-term memory right? The, the, the long-term memory stores. You need documentation to make sure your organization does not forget. And you can learn and iterate and move forward and not spin in circles and like, you know, move forward over a long time scale. The real-time communication is like the nervous system. It's how you respond. It's also the center of a lot of creativity. Without that real-time bouncing around of ideas, the best ideas may never take flight. So, I personally noticed that in developing countries and by kids or younger generations, they almost always default to voice notes, whether it's on WhatsApp or iMessage or whatever it is that they use. Um, they're, they're not sitting there typing because in both mm. situations, they kind of, 
started using messaging systems or messaging apps after kind of in the post-text world. It, it was kind of, if you were a millennial, you're used to sitting there typing out messages. So I think that's a really interesting parallel, this idea of, of trust in that they've kind of just find, found the path of least resistance because they never had the, the, the historical baggage. This is where technology and our culture kind of interplay. Technology has made it so much easier to interact in voice and video, leaving video messages, for example, take Loom in the workplace setting. And, and to some degree, people in younger generations maybe don't have the same hangups that a lot of us do being on video. Like there's a little bit of friction you got to get over, which is you're on camera. And I think there's much less self-consciousness because video is not rare anymore in the world. Video is everywhere. And so the, there's less pressure. So maybe the upcoming generations are just a lot more comfortable being synchronous. Rajiv and the team at Tandem have a fascinating vision when it comes to the future of the working world. They believe that whether you work remotely, in office or hybrid, there should be no barriers to connecting with your coworkers and being an integral part of the community. And with the technology that we have available at our fingertips today, why couldn't we bring this vision to life? Well, as all PeopleOps leaders will know, it's often easier said than done. But as Rajiv has already conveyed so eloquently, connecting with your colleagues is an important element when it comes to the level of enjoyment, satisfaction, and meaning you draw from your work. And it's not always necessary to be together in one physical location to do so. In this next segment, let's hear some of Rajiv's tactical suggestions for PeopleOps leaders hoping to facilitate more connection among their colleagues. A couple general themes that we see be effective are to carve out time to kind of initiate this practice and make it, make it known more intentionally. That can look like scheduling sessions or picking a fixed time during the week or picking a day, like work together Wednesdays where your people are encouraged to collaborate on something hard together. It can look like having hackathon where you really encourage people to, to work on something together. Oh, it can look like a lot of things. The other approach that is generally really effective is just reduce friction. So people want to get to know their coworkers. People want to work together. If you reduce the friction a lot, and this can be by encouraging and enabling people to be in person at some points, helping people coordinate, again, while trying to maintain flexibility, you know, what days they're in the office. It can be by one of the easiest ways to create low friction communication is to have something like a virtual office where you get teams that are working together into the same digital space so they can talk in a, in a click or two. And when you do these, you start to see more spontaneous communication, less kind of waiting for meetings and more quick chats and more of that real-time collaboration. When you have a virtual office, it's just transparent and everybody sees that other people are collaborating. And that's a really powerful thing. Seeing other people collaborate really causes you, especially if you're new to the team or the company, to uh, understand that this is normal. So again, if we're, we're using the idea or of the parallel with the office and everybody talks about, you know, where's the water cooler, 
in these situations, there's still a deliberate outreach. There's still a reason to connect. Whereas, you know, the situation where the salesperson speaks to the person in finance for the first time for no reason and for having no overlap with each other and not doing any work, again, would love to hear your thoughts that I, I don't know where that um, can happen or how that can happen. So one thing that I do think it's important to be sensitive to is that every team within the company has goes through its phases uh, of high connection, high collaboration, and then more heads down, more executional work. As you're thinking about implementing tools or processes or practices that encourage more connection, just I think it's important to be aware that it's not just going to be all connection all the time. If the team is in an executional mode and everything's been planned already, there's going to be a pull towards heads down independent work. And during periods of high coordination, right before a launch or when a project's getting kicked off or when a really tough problem is being solved or when a bunch of new people are joining the team, there's going to naturally be more openness towards connecting. So the second thought that came to mind is the coordination moment or the water cooler is often a meeting. And so opening up some space before and after the meeting to connect, to chat, to have a debrief or a follow-up can be really, really effective in a, you know, in a remote or hybrid setting. You can do that by opening the meeting a little early, staying a little late. Again, virtual offices are great for this. It makes it very natural to gather before and after the meeting. But when you're talking about across teams, it's hard to it's hard to make the ask to show up for a random meeting to meet a random person you maybe never met before with no pretense or kind of stated mission. <laughs> so that that's kind of difficult. Um, the kind of last thought that came to mind is that the physical office, even if only a small fraction of people are there at a given time, has a huge power. It's just a serendipity machine. I think those types of connections and the organizational creativity and just the culture that emerges from that is one of the reasons why a lot of companies are pushing to return to the office in some way, shape, or form. Like, for example, there's the Apple saga where they tried to make everybody come back to the office and then they delayed it. And then they had some number of days a week and then employees pushed back. And we're going to see everybody settle out into this more flexible hybrid mode, but it's, it's going to take a little bit of time because there is that impulse to get back to the office. And by the way, I have to plug our, our weekly hybrid newsletter, This Week in Hybrid, because there's so much announcements from Apple, Google, you know, Meta happening every week. Uh, I actually wouldn't be able to keep track of them if it weren't for reading our own newsletter. <laughs> uh, but yeah, going back to the office, I think enabling some people to come to the office can really, can really help this. And then the challenge becomes, how do your remote employees not be left out? Offices are serendipity machines. And if you can get people comfortable hanging out in the office uh, without leaving the remote teammates behind, you have something very powerful. You have kind of a, a you know seat of culture at the company and sort of the best of both worlds. That's, I think, where hybrid work is going, where flexible hybrid work is going. One thing we just launched is hybrid spaces, which is a bridge into the office that lets remote employees teleport around the physical office using familiar conferencing hardware. 
And so that's one approach to just making people feel like they're at the office when they're not there. Very cool. What about for companies like Oyster? So we are uh, around 600 people. We are in, I think, coming up for 65, potentially even 70 countries around the world. For a company like, like us, how, how can we, as a globally distributed team uh, around the world, how can we make sure that our you know, connective tissue that is, is, is strong and is there <laughs> in the first place between team members? Time zones are tough. You, you can do a lot with technology uh, to reduce friction to talk other than change the, the laws of physics and, and the way time zones work. What you can do is you can get really good at using the overlap. So conceptually, if you imagine in the times when you overlap with your teammates in other time zones, how close to kind of being synchronous or being in the same room can you get? And can you make kind of intentional overlap times uh, for, for those types of interactions? And then the other thing I, I think you, you really do have to do is get really, really good at kind of the asynchronous work and the asynchronous handoff. Uh, some things that can help are if you can arrange your teams roughly by time zone or to have as much overlap as possible. I think that's a very practical and legitimate way to, you know, to improve the company culture. Uh, another thing you can do is trust builds really quickly and doesn't fade. That's, that's the amazing thing about trust. It's not, as, it's not a zero-sum thing, and it, and it builds quickly and, and stays strong. If you can do in-person meetups, quarterly offsites, or annual offsites, that goes a long, long way. Maybe just to give a, a, an anecdote from Oyster on that point you were saying about, about handoffs, because, yeah, we've had to get good at it. Um, we, we actually also give a name uh, that I think is a little bit... Uh, not so common so we we've given a brand in some ways uh, we call it follow the sun and and we kind of took that and repurposed it for who we are and what we want to do so actually i am running a hackathon on friday and as part of the team that is organizing and running this hackathon we're doing a lot of this follow the sun right i'm i'm, I'm based in the uk it's coming up on the end of my day right now and i have people that are in uh, in the us so I kind of at the end of my day, I, I, I create like a mini handoff and I say, hey, this is where this is at. It needs X, Y, Z to be done tomorrow or, or by the time I come online tomorrow so that we can, you know, hit the deadline and, and, and be all good for the hackathon on, on Friday. And the thing I find really interesting about it, I mean, the first thing to, to, to be able to go to sleep and then wake up and work is either progressed or potentially even completed never gets old. It feels like magic. It really feels like magic. And, and one of the pieces of feedback that we got a lot was it allowed people to switch off at the end of their day because they had explicitly handed something over to someone else, given them all the information that they needed, any links that they needed to link to. So they were like, yeah, cool. I'm not blocking anyone for this project to uh, be achieved, this overall piece of work. They have it. It's all good. I can go enjoy my evening. I could be with my family, my friends. I can sleep well. We're good. And also the same on, on the flip side in the morning. When, when they would wake up, you kind of wake up to a semi-formed to-do list. I think everybody has that feeling in the morning where you go, right, okay, hold on, what's my priorities? You know, Where do I need to, to put my time today? Um, when you have work coming back to you the next day, it's kind of like a semi-formed to-do list. That is a double-edged sword for anyone that, that's listening to this because if you're passing too many things off, expect too many things to come back to you. And 
first thing in the morning, that can be a little bit overwhelming. Um, but I really agree with that. And 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 I think putting a, a, a word to it, a phrase to it, like we've done at Oyster has, has kind of helped solidify that or or made it a more of a thing. I love that. I may I may steal that. Go for it. <laughs> more people that want to use it, the better. Um, or share, or rather share, <clears throat> pass it on. Because I, I, I do think that's, um, that handoff is really important and, and the quality of that is, is really important. And, and thinking of it as something more than a handoff, but as a practice, as a sort of an ethos, a set of principles is, is wonderful. So on that point on trust, I want to come back to it. Um, you, you mentioned trust in, in various different situations there. Do you see any behaviors or policies or attitudes around some of the things that we've been talking about um, that can actually erode that, that can be detrimental when it comes to, to trust? And then, of course, how can, can people, ops leaders that will be listening, uh, avoid that? Has there been anything you've seen that might kind of jog my memory? The place my brain first goes to is back to flexibility, right? So the, the point of being overly draconian, overly dictatorial with a particular policy or a particular stance on something, you brought up the Apple saga. I think, I think for any company or any person to be so staunch in their stance right now, it immediately comes across as disingenuous because there are so many unknowns right now. So I think to be so steadfast and say, yes, this is the way, this is the policy um, is, is, is a terrible stance because it's very likely that you don't really know what the outcome will be or, or where things are going to go. And then you end up with situations of delaying things or going back on things and you just, you know, create a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think if you want to get more people in the office more of the time, which is not a bad goal in terms of collaboration and connection. A much better way to do it is to reduce the friction a lot, make it really, really easy. Uh, and that can look like a, you know, a variety of things, making sure there's capacity, seeing if you can uh, do, you know, do meals in the office, just make it easy for people to be in the office. And the second thing is have a reason, have a really intentional reason, gatherings, all hands, what is the office best at? Collaboration and gathering. Uh, and so if you can lean into those, one approach that I've seen that, that I really like is Dropbox's studios, where they're starting to have new types of offices that are really focused on collaboration. So less of the rows of desks with people quietly co-working, although that is sometimes a valuable thing the office can provide, like a quiet co-working area. And more the gathering spaces, cafes, brainstorming rooms, meeting rooms, and you know, yeah, places to connect and create together. I almost like to think of yeah, this idea of studios or or you know, collaboration spaces, kind of similar to when I guess the immediate the immediate want for an executive team to collaborate is to to you know go off to some. Uh, place somewhere, some some ranch or some you know lodge or something like that, and and have this this studio environment that is somewhat uh, isolated, somewhat insulated from the world, and and you kind of just all look inwards. I kind of see that just as becoming a bit democratized, and and for everybody now, right? This idea that everybody should have this you know highly collaborative sort of pod experience as well. Absolutely, I think with the move to a flexible hybrid world 
the need for offices per capita is going down, right? Office capacity, you need less office capacity for the same number of people, but those offices can and need to be much, much better at what offices are great at. And I think where Dropbox Studios are one example of, of a company making this shift. And so I've already talked about hybrid spaces at Tandem, but there's some other really interesting approaches. One that I, I really, really love is this company in Japan called Tonari, which has a, a full-scale wall that is a bridge between two offices. So they take two offices and it really feels like they turn a wall into a window. And you can have a conversation making eye contact with somebody in a different office, just like you were there in person. Let, let me make sure I'm understanding that. So you're saying there's two giant screens and someone in one office can be looking at a screen and someone in the other office can be looking at a screen. And it's, it's just like they're looking through, as you say, a giant window. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. It's as if the wall doesn't exist. That's wild. <laughs> yeah, and, and very, very hard to do technically. And, and they've, they've developed a lot of technology to do that. And, but this is, this is one of those experiences that has the potential to uh, you know, kind of take us into, into the hybrid future. Very interesting. Okay, so you mentioned future there to, to kind of start to, to wrap this up. What, what are your predictions for, for the next five to 10 years in this space? I think the, the virtual office and the physical office need to become kind of very aware of each other. So we'll start to see your remote teammates, when you're in the office, your remote teammates show up on surfaces kind of effortlessly throughout the office, uh, whether it's meetings or hallway conversations or in the open floor and vice versa in all of the remote tools, including virtual offices, you'll start to see more awareness of who's in the physical office, where are people, and even lower friction to you know, collect connection and collaboration. Another trend that's outside of what we're working on, but is really, really important for hybrid work, is the explosion of multiplayer apps and multiplayer capabilities. So one that always comes to mind is, is Figma, where it's made designing together and now brainstorming together multiplayer. And the thing that's really interesting about multiplayer apps well, one, they're technically very hard to build. So it's taken a while to get to the level where you know, design can actually happen in the cloud in real time. But two, they remove the distinction between in-person and remote. When you're in person, for example, you're still using Figma with somebody else, probably you know, in browser. So you're almost working as if you're remote when you're in person. And so it really levels the playing field and allows everybody to think with their teammates no matter where they are. And every fundamental work mode is going multiplayer. You've got Replit with code, you've got Figma with design, you know, they're being developed one by one. And there are a few companies like Liveblocks that are working on enabling multiplayer for any app. I love that. That's really exciting. Okay, last question before we finish up and it's, uh, it's a little bit removed, but it's a, it's a question that we ask everybody on the podcast. So, what is the best mistake you've ever made and why? I'm not sure I think of it as a mistake, but when I first started the company, you know, with my co-founders, we changed direction several times. We worked on cryptocurrency, we worked on personal finance, and these ideas often fizzled out and just didn't work, didn't, didn't take hold. Uh, 
And as we were kind of casting around, we had to recognize when people just didn't want what we were building and we had to change direction. Ultimately, we ended up in a very different space working on collaboration, but it was so much closer to our hearts. We love working together. We started the company mostly to work together, not as much for a specific idea. So it seems in hindsight, very appropriate that we ended up working on how we work together. <laughs> but uh, it was not at all ob an obvious move at the time. That's great. I love that too. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks, Reese. My conversation with Rajiv brought up several important points about the value of connection and community at work and how PeopleOps leaders can champion a close-knit company culture. Here are three of my top takeaways from this episode. First, while many workplaces have transitioned to remote or hybrid environments, we're all still humans at the end of the day, and many of us crave connection. It's been proven that colleagues that have some level of personal relationship will be more productive, motivated, and satisfied at work. So championing a sense of interconnectedness is a worthwhile goal for PeopleOps leaders. Second, with so much technological advancement in recent years, PeopleOps leaders can rely on several different tools and platforms to increase workplace connectivity. By using tools like Tandem, PeopleOps leaders can mimic real-time, in-person working environments to create a more collaborative atmosphere for remote workers. And finally, as Rajiv mentioned, offices are quote-unquote serendipity machines. PeopleOps leaders focus on fostering those spontaneous, off-the-cuff moments that lead to great creative insights. When co-workers have the space to connect in ways that feel informal and authentic, that's when the real magic happens. Thank you for listening to New World of Work, the podcast exploring the new frontier of the modern workforce through an international lens. We hope this episode served to expand your horizons and open your mind to a new perspective. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so that we can reach more listeners. I'm your host, Reese Black. See you next time.